Good morning, church. Yeah, you keep clapping. That's all right. If you haven't figured it out, we're a church that likes to clap, but we can't clap and sing at the same time. And so every chance we get when we're not singing, we like to clap. And we, we love to clap and we love to celebrate life change. We love to join families in making this commitment up front, but we love to celebrate with you who are choosing to surrender another aspect, if not all, of your life to Jesus Christ. Last Sunday morning, we had the privilege, if you were here, we had the privilege of seeing George Lynch surrender his life to Jesus Christ in baptism. We want to celebrate George and his decision. And it was great to have his son and his daughter right here in the crowd to cheer their dad on, but to also make note to watch the transformations going on in his life as they watch closely every move that we make as parents. It was also exciting to welcome Greg and Carrie Hopkins and their large family to ours here at MCC. He guys like, wow, wow, that's nothing. There's more of them. I, no, that's all of them, I think. I think that's all of them, but uh, every age uh, from their 30s down into their toddler years. We're so excited to have that family along with Mike and Janet Payton who placed their membership and set down their roots here last weekend. So let's welcome these families. Well, grab your Bible now and join me in the book of Genesis. We've gone from the front to the back and we're bouncing back and forth through God's word, but we come to Genesis chapter six, which is just right inside the front cover to an account that speaks to us about the significance of loving God wholeheartedly. Loving God wholeheartedly. Now, when you really want to know a person. Now, Sarah and I, when we dated, we didn't date very long before we got married. I was getting up in years, long in tooth, as some of you would say. I was 34 uh, when we got married. And so we didn't waste a lot of time dating. And since then, she has said numerous times over the last 20 years, I sure didn't know you very well. <laughs> and the reality is, is that we really don't know a person until, until we watch their faith, their convictions, who they are at the core. We discover where they planted themselves, where they've rooted their lives. How do we discover that? By watching their life as their life is interrupted by life's many challenges. As we watch their life when they are living in the best season of their life. When we listen to them, when we walk with them, when we share life with them. But perhaps before we, we try to look at the other person and try to measure them up in some way, we should look at our own life. We should look ourselves in the mirror in the midst of the very circumstances that are challenging us the most in this present season of our life. How are you dealing with one of life's interruptions personally? Now, let me say that we all have our moments. We all have our moments. Some moments when we shine and what we believe and where we've rooted ourselves becomes very clear, and those are very affirming moments for our lives. But then there are those moments at Walmart, right? There are those moments 
There are those moments when you're in the turn lane as I was the other day and I was trying to merge into traffic but I jumped into turn lane first, right? And then I'm getting over and about that time a young girl pulled up beside me in her car and I had to stop at the stoplight. She chalked up her brakes and she just started going like that. I won't raise my middle finger but she was just giving it to me. And I thought, oh wow, I better write this down because she's telling me who's going to kick the winning field goal at the Super Bowl Sunday night. And so I was like, yeah, thank you very much. I'm trying to get it down. And then I read her lips and I recognized it had nothing to do with the Super Bowl, but this girl was just going, going off. I like to pull up behind people that I know, especially church people. I, I did this to a lady the other day. I, I pull up behind them and I just tap them a little bit at the stoplight, right? Just kind of, just kind of jar them a little bit. This woman's teeth fell out. No, but, but I like to jar them just a little bit to see how they're going to respond. You know, usually within three seconds, they fly you the bird. There was a lady here, her and her husband owned a restaurant for a little while in Jeffersonville. I, I won't mention her name, Sarah English, but Sarah... <laughs> Sarah had pulled into a parking spot that was reserved for the owner behind the restaurant. I saw her pulling in. So I pulled behind her in a truck that I wasn't usually driving. And I, I know people by cars and people know me by the cars that I drive. So I pull up behind her and I, and I can't see her and she can't see my face in her mirror. You got to be careful when you're doing this if you really want to get them. And so I'm sitting there and I just start blowing the horn. And she just, she starts motioning for me to go past and I just blow on it even more intently. You know, there's kind of a, they can feel it when you hold on the horn. It's more just a little love to, right, beep, beep. This was like a, and finally I saw it. That hand came up and that finger was raised and I jumped out of the truck and ran up to the window and said, hey, Sarah, it's good to see you. She'll never live it down. My point is this, you give me a person you give me a person who says that their life is devoted by God and you give them a good hammer to the thumbnail and then you know where they stand. Jesus said out of the overflow of the heart, what we've hidden in our heart, the mouth speaks. Now I give you that long introduction because in Genesis, Genesis chapter is it chapter 6 or chapter 9? I just noticed a discrepancy in my note. Chapter 6, great. Noah is living in that kind of world. He's living in that kind of world where his thumb was getting hit with a hammer probably daily. Where he didn't have to get in someone's way to be cursed by the flying of the bird. Noah was living in a world where the pressure was on in ways not unlike the way the pressure is on for us today. Yet Noah's account begins in verse 9 with a statement that really means something when you hold it up against his circumstances. Look with me in Genesis chapter 6 verse 9. It says, but Noah was a righteous man. He was living right. He was blameless among the people of his time and he walked with God. 
Now this is significant because verse five sets it up to let us know the circumstances around Noah's life. It says, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination, I want you to think about that, not just on the bad days, but on the good. Every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil, not just a little bit of evil mixed in, but was only evil all the time. Now that speaks a lot. <laughs> and we can see the impact of that today. Living in an evil world where there are evil thoughts, where there are evil motives who seemed, that seem to take the rule over people's life. He's living in a world where dysfunction existed, where separation was the norm, self-destruction, sexual exploitation, wickedness, every evil, no good all the time. It was so bad, verse 6 says, that the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. You'll remember just a few weeks ago, we said that when God created man and woman, what did he say? He said, this is very Good, And here we are just a few hundred years later and God was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart, I want you to underline that, was filled with pain. Now I read that and I've read that a dozen, two dozen, three dozen times in my life. And I have to tell you that this week my first thought was we are so often focused on our own pain when these circumstances and these situations come up in our life, that we don't ever stop to consider the pain that God feels when we reject him in the midst of our pain. When we will not accept his comfort, when we will not turn to him in our time of pain, when we just give up trying to align our lives with his precepts. But that wasn't Noah, and it doesn't have to be us. Here's Noah living in the middle of a godless society and he chose to live differently. I want you to notice that just a couple hundred years, uh, six, eight hundred years before this, uh, Adam was walking with God in the Garden of Eden. After Adam walked with God and then fell, the next man that we read about was a guy named Enoch. Enoch walked with the Lord and then was no more. Remember, he was just taken up into heaven. He didn't have to die a physical death on this earth. He walked with the Lord. And here we are. You can count it on one hand, the number of people in the Bible that walked with God. And here it is, Noah walking with God. He lived differently. And so here's the first takeaway from the life of Noah that I want us to consider anchoring our lives to. And that is you and I today, just like Noah, we are to love God more than anything or anyone else. And say, oh, okay, I can love him. But when no one else does, when you're alone, when no one else sees, when you hear somebody behind you blowing the horn or tapping your bumper, you're to love God even when no one else does. I got to tell you, when that girl pulled up to me and was giving me the what for, 
I saw where she pulled into work and I was ready to pull into the work and ask for her by name because I wanted to have her sell me a Verizon phone and then hand it back to her and say, the next time, young lady, when you're thinking about how good you want to do at your job, you need to think about how you treat people. But I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Because that would have made me just like everybody else. We are to love God more than anything or anyone else, even when no one else does. Now, what I want you to do, if you haven't done so already, is I want you to put that statement into context with your current situation. And I could go through, I'm looking out in the room, and I could probably go through and name a life situation that's going on in every row because you have so blessed me, just like the Dickersons, by inviting me into their family to share and to encourage with them. So you have invited me. But I'm not going to do that because you can. I want you to put that statement into context right now in your current situation. Because right now, Right now, God is speaking this truth to you who have received a diagnosis that has rocked your world and the treatment for which has brought you to your knees, physically and emotionally, spiritually. He is speaking this truth that we are to love God more than anything or anyone else, even when no one else does. He's speaking that to you who are so disappointed in the way a relationship has come to an end. Do you love him more or are you cursing the fact? Drinking yourself into a stupor. Shoveling it back out against the one that you used to love so. He's speaking to you who feel so alone in this world. Alone in depression. Alone in circumstances. Alone in desire that you know is wrong to give in to, yet he is speaking to you. Will you love him more right now? He's speaking to you who believe that your life is good and you're right where you want to be. But you're starting to learn as God's word is preached in truth and in grace that your life is in alignment with his will. Will you choose to love him God's first and greatest command for every person is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. I want you to notice there are three dimensions to that command. In the middle of your circumstances, will you love him with your physical being? Will you love him with your spiritual being? Will you love him with your emotional being? And let me remind you what the writer of Proverbs says, that above all, the heart is deceptive. So don't be living on feelings. Better yet, which of the three have you surrendered to him and which haven't you? Now, before you answer that question, let me, let me be more specific about what love is and isn't. Love isn't a feeling. I've lost that loving feeling. Love isn't a feeling. It's a choice. Love is an action. It isn't just something that we say. In fact, Scripture says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I'm a persuasive speaker, but I have not love, 
I'm a resounding gong. Reminds me of the gong show, gong. Or a clanging cymbal. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I'm nothing. Love is patient. That's not a feeling, it's an action, it's a choice. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud. It's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil. And man, sometimes, you know, I thought nothing better than that girl, she'd give me that, and she's gonna turn right now in front of traffic because she's busy looking at me. But love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. And it will never, it never fails. Love is to permeate every thought, every action, every reaction, and love will always complete its intended purpose. And so this is Noah as we're introduced to him in verse nine. Noah's loving God, he's walking with God even when no one else is, and this is what God wants for you and for me. God wants us to know him, to find fulfillment in him, satisfaction in him, love him with all of our being, but in order to know him and love him that way, it requires what? That when the rubber hits the road, when the crap hits the fan, when the circumstances rattle our cage, it means that we trust him. God comes to Noah and says in verse 11, I'm grieved by the human race. <laughs> Not just a few of them, but all of them. This is my paraphrase. No human being but you in the entire world loves me the way that you do, Noah. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna destroy it all except for your family. And I want you to build a ship, a giant ship, that will save you and your family and two of every kind. Now, he does, there are some others of different kind, clean and unclean animals that he brings up more than two of, but you get the point. And then he says in verse 13, here's how I want you to do it. I want you to think about having received this command. I want you to think about where Noah is sitting right now in his life, because you can relate, I can relate. He is seated in the seat of mockers right now, or among them, he's surrounded by people who mock God. The sinful choices of the world around him hurt, and it hurt God. And so God offers Noah a solution. And what God offers Noah, I want you to understand God is offering to you and me today, not through an ark, but through Jesus Christ. You see, because God loves you, God wants to start over with you. You see, that was his message to Noah, is I want to start over with you and with your family. And the question is, will you trust him? Well, you trust him because it's not easy to start over. 
It wasn't going to be easy for Noah. And that's why God gives us this account, because this choice to love and trust God completely isn't easy for us either. Think about where Noah finds himself. Think about where you find yourself right now. Noah's asked to build a giant ship where the nearest ocean was hundreds of miles away. I don't even know that he had seen the ocean. And in the same way, listen, we are asked to do the unfamiliar. And when we're asked to do the unfamiliar, it is almost always when we are uncomfortable. (laughs) We are asked to do the unfamiliar in the midst of the uncomfortable. Everything wasn't perfect for Noah. Can you imagine living? Well, some of you can because you're the only student in your class that chooses to avoid certain parties. Maybe you're the only person on your ball team that chooses to skip practice on Wednesday night, having told your coach at the beginning that you won't be at practice on Wednesday night because that's the night that you worship at church for midweek, and yet everyone else on your team gets to play at the next game, but you have to sit out the bench because you chose right. Think about where Noah finds himself. And how he's asked to do the unfamiliar in the midst of the uncomfortable. Sunday night, I came home exhausted. I know that that's hard to believe because preachers only work one day a week. Well, I work too because we got Saturday night service. The girls had had a challenging afternoon. I had a challenging Sunday afternoon. Sarah and I finally laid down around midnight, which is about typical for us. And I leaned over to her and I said, can we just get in the car? And I meant it. Can we just get in the car and can we not just drive south someplace? If only for two nights. Just to sit in the sunshine. Just to hear the sound of the ocean. I love the sound of the ocean. It might be 100 degrees, but I'm sleeping with the doors open at the hotel because I want to hear the ocean. Noah was hundreds of miles from the nearest ocean, and he was asked to build something for which he had never seen. Some question if Noah had even seen rain, because Scripture indicates that up until this point, God had chosen to water the earth from the ground up, not from the heavens down. My friends, what God is asking some of you to build right now in this life a relationship with your spouse. God is asking you to build a relationship with your children. He's asking you to build a relationship with your church family. You may not have ever seen or experienced that in health before, but he is asking you, will you love him and will you trust him and will you do it his way? And he always asks that in the midst of great uncomfortableness because that's about the only time that we'll look to him and ask him for help and direction. And that's a challenge. Most often, we are asked to trust God the most when what we think we need most is a great distance away. But what we discover is that who we truly need is right there with us. I know that you'll find this hard to believe, but I live out in the middle of the country in Leota, and right across the road we have Amish neighbors, and they've got livestock everywhere, 
and they've got an outhouse that's used by 13 people. But Monday morning, when I walked out on my front porch and watched the sun come up amongst the clouds, you know what I smelled? I smelled the ocean. I smelled the ocean. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I want you to think about that for a minute. The way you see things in this moment, don't lean on that. But you trust him. You trust him with all your heart. And then in all your ways, in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of your disappointment, in the middle of your shock, in the middle of your desire for revenge, revenge, in all your ways, you acknowledge him. And what will he do? He'll let you smell the ocean. He'll make your path straight. You'll see your way through the moment. 120 years it took Noah to build the ark. <laughs> no sign of rain. Hundreds of miles from the nearest ocean. The ridicule of the world around him. You know what that is. Think about the self-doubt. Some of you don't have to think about self-doubt because you're in the middle of it. The feeling that the rest of his life was going to be spent building something that he didn't understand. Boy, that's for real, isn't it? This is the essence of what it is to love God with everything. We trust God with what seems impossible at the moment. And we remain faithful. We remain steadfast in obedience. We don't do it the way that we want it and call it faithfulness but in complete obedience to the end. Now, please understand that this is not a story of God's plan to destroy the world. That is not what this is about. This is the story of God's plan to save Noah and his family. And it's the story of God's plan to save you. And you need to be clear that detail matters. Detail always matters to God, especially when it comes to love. And in these next verses, verses 15 to 21, God lays it out for Noah. This is how I want you to build. This is the size I want you to build. This is the shape I want you to build. These are the materials that I want you to use, all the way down to the payload. And God has given you the exact same. You want to know how to love your spouse. You want to know how to raise your children. You want to know how to deal with life when the rug's pulled out from under you. God has given you the specifics. And verse 22 says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. In what areas of your life have you followed God's plans explicitly? I'm not talking about just for a little while, but for your 120-year period. Whether that's six months, whether it's five years, 10 years, what seems like a lifetime. I know individuals, 
I know families who have stepped out in faith and obedience after coming to Christ late in life, after living to the max as we do. I know families who've stepped out in faith and become obedient in the very baseline of our faith, giving the first fruits, what we call the tithe of what God's provided for them. Some have done exactly what God commanded, and you know what the results are? Some of you are living in financial peace today. Praise God for that. Some continue to live paycheck to paycheck because you're still reducing debt. Praise God for that. I have one couple. I have one couple who came to me and they are contemplating matching your gift to above and beyond, not because of who they are, not because they want to be known, because they never will be known to you. But they want you to know what it is like to follow God's plan explicitly. That God blesses obedience. I know individuals, you may find this hard to believe, but there are. I know individuals who have remained pure until they're married. Some have experienced the trust and the wholeness with their spouse that comes when we honor God that way. And some who have honored God that way have lost their spouse to death or to a tragic accident. I know others who have challenges in their relationship just like people who don't remain pure, but they remained. I know individuals who have surrendered their life of addiction to a life of obedience, who have found great healing, and there are others who struggle with the desire to use again to this day. And every day, though, they're choosing to love him all the way through. Here's my point. Noah followed God's commands. He remained obedient for 120 years, and the flood still came. <laughs> the flood still came. But there's one difference between Noah who remained obedient, and the rest of the world who lived in disobedience, and that is that Noah and his family were saved. And that's the difference. Genesis chapter 7, verse 6 says, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. Verse 7, Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Verse 13 on that very day, Noah and his sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind. Sounds like they had kids. <laughs> All livestock according to their kinds. Every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind. And every bird according to its kind. Everything with wings Verse 15, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them, I want you to underline this, came to Noah. They came to him. Came to Noah and entered the ark. Verse 16, the animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. And then my favorite verse, the Lord shut him in. Verse 20, the waters rose, covered the mountains. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground, the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left 
and those with him in the ark. There are so many takeaways, but I want to give you three. And the first is this. You and I, we can love God wholeheartedly. Why can we love him wholeheartedly? Unlike any other human relationships, why can we love him wholeheartedly? Why can we trust him wholeheartedly? Because he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. In Genesis chapter six, verse three, God said that man's days would be limited to 120 years. It was exactly 120 years later that God sent the flood. God keeps his promises. Which, by the way, God is clear that he's coming back. He always keeps his promises, so be ready. God gave Noah explicit details on how to build a ship that would float. And that boat floated. Now, I want you to think about this. When the pastor, when your friend, when your mind that has been bathed in the word of God tells you to be obedient to God's word, to do what he, to be patient, to be kind, to not keep a list of records, even though everyone else keeps a list of wrongs. Will you do that trusting, knowing that God will work through that because he promised, he promised that love would what? It would never fail. When God builds the ship, it floats. When God gave no explicit details that every living creature would be safe on that ship and it held together, it's evidence that God keeps his promise. It saved Noah's family. God was faithful in fulfilling every detail of his promise to Noah. And here's what scripture tells us is that God has fulfilled every promise he's made to you through Jesus Christ. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus Christ. Romans tells us that God demonstrates his love for us that while we were surrounded by godless world of sinners, while we were sinners ourselves, what did he do? What did he do? He died for us. And so here's the second way, takeaway. And that is I can love God wholeheartedly because Jesus Christ is my ark. He's the ark. He's the answer. And there is room for you because, why? Because God so loved the broken and sinful world in which we live and for which we are a part of. For God so loved every human that he gave his one and only son that he built an ark for us that whoever would believe in him would not perish in the flood called the judgment but that we would live everlasting with him. The miracle of getting all those animals on the boat is huge for me. But it says that they came to Noah. God led them just as he leads and draws us to himself. But animals are obstinate. Just when you think they love you, and some of you really think they love you. I was with a man this, this week and his dog Gibbs. 
He just, he thinks Gibbs just loves him. But you stop feeding Gibbs and Gibbs will bite your fingers off. <laughs> it's the sweetest dog. But some get hung up on the details of how many animals could actually be on the ark. And I think the ark encounter in northern Kentucky will help satisfy that need that you have to be able to see it with your own eyes, to see a structure that is built just as... Just as when you are struggling in your relationship with someone else, you can look to a relationship of a person who has fully devoted themselves to God's plan and who has been obedient to him, and you can see the miracle. You can drive to northern Kentucky, and you can see the reality of that miracle. I'll pay your way if it'll make a difference. And it's expensive, but it's worth it. If that's what's keeping you from loving him and trusting him. But what scripture doesn't explain is how God convinced Noah's family to get on board. God came to Noah and he told him that destruction was certain. But 120 years later, but yet they chose to get on board. Why? Were, were they threatened? Scripture doesn't say they were. Were they dragged by the ear by Mrs. Noah? Could it be that the love and faith of a man, a husband, a father who for 120 years spent every day showing his family that he believed and trusted God, and so should they? Don't you think that maybe just maybe that had a little bit of influence because, my friends, it has a lot of influence. Men, we need to be Noah's. Single moms, we need to be Noah's. In the middle of the filth that we're living in and the pain and the hurt and the times that we feel like there's no way that we can stay the course. You need to remember that your influence, your example, that God is working through that to save the most important of all of your responsibilities, and that is your children. Now, there's something that God includes in this account of Noah's life that would seem to tarnish it all. Not God, but Noah. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, after the flood, we read, and Noah was on that boat, by the way, for somewhere between 350 to 370 days. I want you to think about the significance of that and the trust. But Noah gets off the boat. He builds an altar to God in verse 22. He worships him. That is all fine and dandy, and I think I would too. God makes a promise to Noah and to his family and to each one of us that as long as the earth endures, never again would God destroy all the living creatures as he did with the flood. But in chapter 9, after God blesses Noah and his family and tells them to live their life and to make love and to have children and subdue the earth, he gives it all to them again. But in verse 20 of chapter 9, we read, it says, sometime later... Noah planted a vineyard. And that vineyard, we can understand, produced grapes. And he let those grapes go to the wine press and to set and to ferment. 
he drank the wine he produced, and he got naked and drunk. Two things that were detestable to God. Two of the boys went in and they covered their daddy up while he slept it off. But one of his boys just laughed it off. He said something like, if I had been on that boat for over a year with mom, I would have gotten drunk way before now type of thing. But he laughed it off. Why did one of his sons see it as something to laugh at? Better yet, why? Why would Noah do this after all that he experienced? Listen, it's because even those who love God wholeheartedly continue to struggle with sin. It's the reality. For all of our lives, we continue to struggle. Paul called it this battle that waged within us when we know what we ought to do, yet there's a part of us that just wants to reject that at times. And we're all familiar with those times that we have. And I praise God that God was transparent enough as he always is. Some preachers aren't. I had a man walk up to me. He's been in church all of his life last night. And he said, I never knew that Noah got drunk. Yes, Noah got drunk. Just as every one of us have given in to the pain or to the situation. So why include this one day in Noah's life in such a marvelous story of faith and trust? Because it's real. And it's part of Noah's life. Just as your and mine sin is real, yet God decided long before we chose him, what? That he would choose us. And that he would make us the objects of his love, Ephesians 1 says. And he chose to provide a way for us to escape his wrath and judgment in the flood. And his way, his ark for us, is Jesus Christ. And so the third takeaway is, is more of an instruction. And that is, I love God wholeheartedly when I trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of my life. <laughs> That's the only way that we have to truly love God is to trust his way for us, to get on the boat, to plant our roots deep through obedience and faithfulness to God. You see, God has opened the door for you, my friends. These circumstances of your life right now that have put your faith to the test or that have brought you to the point of being at your knees crying out for someone or for something to bring relief all of this, all of this has been allowed to do what? To draw you to the one who can save you. To draw you to the one who has built an ark for you that you too can get on board. How do you get on board? By diving deep into the water and dying to your old ways and your old desires leaving all of that just as when God washed the earth clean, leaving it all at the bottom in the sediment and rising up to walk in the newness of life. And God's promise to you is that he will shut the door 
He will shut you to the door because when you're on that ark, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Bill Stone, what does the gift of the Holy Spirit do? It seals us. It seals us in until the day that we go to God. And yes, there will be times, unfortunately. There'll be times when we get overwhelmed and we choose to not trust. We choose to get fall down drunk sometimes in whatever way that is for you. But thanks be to God, even then, Satan can't snatch us from his hands because the only way through this flood called life is with him who has made us secure and we are on board. If you find yourself today outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to know more, I would love to talk with you about that more and what it looks like. There are a group of guys that will be in the back to help have that conversation with you. Maybe today you're in that quandary of can I make it? Can I make it if that, whatever that 120 year journey is for you? <laughs> can I make it to the other end? I've received Christ, but yet, I don't know. There's someone that'll be there to pray with you and to encourage you in the truth. Maybe today you're looking for a place where you can plant yourself because the journey, I remember Elijah, not Elisha, but Elijah, remember? He had been so faithful to God. He'd gone up against the evil in the world. And now he was on a run through the desert some think that he was running away from the evil that was chasing him named Jezebel. But I say to you that he was running to the mountain of God, the place where he had seen his ancestors talk with God. Either way, he's in the middle of the desert. He's not knowing if he can go the distance. And I love it when the angel comes to him, the angel of God, and says, the journey is too much for you. Some of you feel like the journey is too much right now. Let God strengthen and renew you as he did Elijah that day under the broom tree. Whatever you need, I'm here. Some of the guys will be in the back. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father God, we are living in a world that is messed up. And you know this better than any of us because it pains your heart just as we are pained. The difference is, is that we're pained many times by the foolish choices that we've made. And Father, you're pained by that as well. We're pained, Father, because we see this life as the end all. And you are pained as well because you know that this life is just, it's just a rehearsal. It's just an opportunity for us to see you work and to glorify you through obedience in our life because the life to come is the life that we want and it's the life that you have planned for us and it's the life that you have built an ark for us to get on while we're here the ark of Jesus Christ who will bring us safely to you on that day on that day of judgment and destruction when you come again that we can be safe and that we can live with you eternal, that we can be reunited with those who believe that have gone before us. 
And so, Father, today, give us courage to respond. Give us courage in the midst of our situation. Give us courage as parents who are committed, Father, to leading our children, even in our frailty. Give us courage, Father, to say yes to you over and over again, every step of the way. Father, hear our prayers. We depend on you. We rely on you because you're the way. You're the truth. You hold the life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.